0: You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. You can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and... uh... As you turn your Bibles there, I want you to consider this. Uh, Have you ever felt like you were in a season of your life where you were just waiting for something to happen? Waiting for what is next? Just waiting, like like at the turn of the new year. Uh, I, I noticed on social media everybody uh, saying hashtag goodbye twenty twenty. Right, like everybody was just waiting for the the calendar to turn to twenty twenty one. And I, I'm not really sure if anything got better this week. Um, you know, maybe you're waiting for twenty twenty two now or twenty twenty four or I don't know. Just the return of Jesus. Like that seems like a good thing to wait for. Amen. Uh, we can often find ourselves waiting for for situations to change. Maybe you found yourself waiting for a a, a new job. For for you, singles, maybe you found yourself um, in between relationships and you're waiting for that right person to come along. Um, Students, maybe you found yourself waiting for that ever far off day when you will graduate and you don't have to go to school anymore. Married folks, uh, maybe, maybe you're waiting for God to do a change in your spouse's heart. Maybe you're, you're waiting in your life for a relationship to heal or, or, or for one of your kids to come back to the Lord. For our church, we, we've been waiting for a long time now to be able to say that we're able to buy this building or, or another building. No updates, by the way, sorry. You're all like still waiting. So this sermon will be appropriate. I've talked to to many people recently who are are waiting on the Lord to, to help them to know which church they should call home and which family of families they're going to be able to grow with towards the Lord best. And the truth is, if you've lived on this earth for any period of time, you are familiar with waiting. And in most situations, Uh, waiting is not easy. Like, raise your hand if you hate waiting. Anybody hate waiting in here? Yeah, yeah, I see a few hands, right? Like, none of us really like it, and we have to come to grips with this fact that we are time-bound creatures, and we don't like it. Waiting makes us feel helpless. Waiting makes us feel out of control. And we wish that we were able to be like God, standing outside of time and space, seeing all of the past, present, and future at once. But but God has not created us like that. He's not created us to see it all. He's created us to live in the now. And therefore to wait. And therefore to trust. Trust to be dependent upon him as the one who holds all of time and space in his hands. And, and and this may not be something that you want to hear this morning, but I would suggest to you that waiting is the default position of the disciple of Jesus Christ. Ye. See, there are very few moments in the life of a disciple where, where God is doing exactly what we know he's doing and he's not working something else out in every sphere of life. We're always waiting in some way. Uh, Pastor Nate used to use the analogy of, of surfing, right? Like you, if you want to go surfing, it's all about riding the wave. But, but first got to paddle, paddle, paddle out to where the waves are, are, are cresting and then you, you have to wait, wait. Wait and the major like the thing that you come to surfing for is like a minute long. And you get to ride the wave and then you got to do it all over again. And that's life. That's life, isn't it? Like God designed it that we would have to wait. Now I want you to think about it. Why do you think that is? Does God just like get pleasure from watching a squirm? Is he just kind of messing with us? Obviously, you know that's not true. He's too gracious and compassionate and kind for all that. And so why has God designed that we would spend the majority of our lives waiting? And I believe it's because God wants to remind us that he is God. And we are not. Waiting increases our dependence and purifies our devotion to Jesus. It is a huge part of the way of a disciple. It's a a huge part of how we grow as disciples of Jesus. And it is the essence of the way of prayer. Prayer is the activity of waiting on the Lord. We cannot be people of action. We cannot be people whose activities carry any consequence or eternal weight if we are not first people of prayerful waiting. Our our Great Commission Collective president, uh, Dave Harvey, writes this about waiting. He says In this life, our growth in grace will not always, I'm sorry, will always involve looking forward to that final blessed hope. Waiting is a display of glorious weakness wherein we move deliberately and consistently toward God in prayerful dependence, asking Him to do what only He can do. And today we're going to learn how to display our glorious weakness In prayerful dependence. We are in a sermon series called The Way of Prayer, and and we're learning how to support one another by praying together on the path of discipleship. That's what we're focusing on at the beginning of this year. And today, uh, in Acts chapter 1, we're going to learn how to wait together in prayer. Our big idea for this morning is patiently wait to see God's power by prayerfully seeking God's kingdom together. Patiently wait to see God's power by prayerfully seeking God's kingdom together. So your your Bibles are open to Acts chapter 1. And and, uh, in this series on prayer, we're going to be studying the role that prayer played in the early church, uh, specifically through Luke's writings in the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And so last week, we we looked at the Gospel of Luke and what he records in Jesus' model prayer life and in his model prayer that he gave to his disciples. We called it the Lord's way of prayer. And over the next two months then, we're going to see now how the early church applied the Lord's way of prayer through the book of Acts. We're not going to preach the whole book of Acts through. We do have a reading plan where you can read the whole book of Acts through. But we're going to focus in on the theology of prayer according to Luke. And specifically praying together. And so what we want to do in these sermons is is zoom in And zoom out. If you picture like a camera, we want to zoom in and zoom out. So we're going to zoom in on a moment where we find the early church praying, and then we're going to zoom out on the context of that, and we're going to to see how and what and why they were praying. And our goal is to then learn how we should be praying and how their praying is an example to us in our praying. And so let's zoom in right now on Acts chapter 1, verses 12 and 14, and then we're going to zoom out and get the context and understand what sparked this prayer meeting. Acts 1, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they had been staying, Peter and John, and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In this scene... Uh, Luke is showing us a prayer meeting that's happening, and he's telling us who was in attendance. So um, he names 11 apostles. So Jesus had 12 disciples. Uh, Judas betrayed him, so 12 minus 1 is 11. There you go, kids. Math class for the day. You're done. And, and, And so we have 11 apostles, and then we have uh, these women who are very, very important to Luke. He, he goes into detail about them in, in chapter 9, and then they are the ones who end up seeing the, uh, the, the empty tomb and reporting on that at, at the end of his gospel. And then you have Mary, the mother of Jesus, and then Jesus' brothers, or really stepbrothers through Joseph, And if you look at verse 15, uh, eventually we we come to find that there are 120 disciples gathered together. All right, look back in your Bibles at verse 14. We always want you to be looking in your Bibles, seeing where we're getting this, that I'm not just making this stuff up. Look at verse 14. Uh, How does Luke describe this group? What are they doing? Well, first, they're of one accord. They're of one accord. And then second, they're devoted to prayer. So they are united in devoted prayer. And if we look at the context, we see that this is really a 10-day long prayer meeting. A prayer meeting where they're waiting together upon something very specific. that They're waiting to be clothed with power from on high from the Holy Spirit. They're waiting for God wants to do next in the the unfolding of his kingdom, in the next phase of his kingdom. See, dependent disciples occupy themselves with unified, devoted prayer as they wait upon the Lord. Dependent disciples occupy themselves with devoted, dependent prayer as they wait upon the Lord. And so what does this prayer look like? How did they know that they were to occupy themselves with prayer while they waited? Like, Why was prayer their response? What made that their go-to first response after Jesus ascended? And so one of our goals in, in this series is, is to grow, that we would make prayer our first response when we're together. Stop, drop, and pray. Remember that? First response prayer together, together together. And that's what we see here, but that wasn't always their impulse. We're going to find that out later today. And so what made it their impulse? What drove these early disciples to that place? And how did they know what to pray about to keep their hearts unified so that they could all agree together in prayer? And I believe that we see the answers to those questions if we start back in verse 1 and read 1 through 14, which is what we're going to study and read throughout the morning, Uh, I believe that what we see in the prayer meeting of verse 14 is disciples who were patiently waiting to see God's power by prayerfully seeking his kingdom. That they had learned from Jesus that if they want to see the power of God and the kingdom of God, they needed to pray, your kingdom come. And so let's start to see that in verses 1 to 3. Luke writes, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God patiently wait by prayerfully seeking first the kingdom's characteristics the kingdom's characteristics so verses 1 to 3 is like like the prologue to the book of acts it's it's Luke's opening description of the book of acts and and here he points out that that acts is really part 2 of a two volume set of the gospel of Luke and acts so so Luke addressed both of these books, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, to a guy named Theophilus. And and, um, he he said that he wanted this guy, Theophilus, to be convinced concerning the things that he had been taught, really about Jesus and about what it looked like to follow him and about what the apostles had done and how the church was planted. He wanted Theophilus to be convinced about the way of a disciple, how to follow Jesus. And so in the first book, he he dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. You see that there in verse 1? Dealt with all that he began to do and teach. Which implies that, that the second volume is all that Jesus continued to do and teach from the day that he was taken up. So Jesus is going to be taken up. He's going to be off the scene, but he's going to be continuing to work See, before Jesus was taken up into heaven, he he gave commands through the Holy Spirit to his apostles. And after Jesus was taken up into heaven, he spoke through the Holy Spirit using the apostles and the churches that they established. Before Jesus was taken up, he, he proclaimed, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. After Jesus was taken up, his apostles proclaimed that good news and they took it to all the world. But... You see, in these first three verses, we see the essential characteristics of the kingdom message that Jesus was proclaiming. We see his power, what he does, all that he began to do, and what Jesus commands, all that he taught. His, his power and His commands. That, that's the essential characteristics of the kingdom. As we pray, Your kingdom come, we're asking for Christ's power and commands to take over in our midst. So first, the kingdom is about Christ's power. These books are all about what Jesus began to do. He, he showed them many proofs of His resurrection power. In, in His gospel, Jesus, uh, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is presented as the Messiah. He's presented as the promised, anointed one by the Spirit who was the King of the Jews. And he was anointed to proclaim the good news to the poor and liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was the promised anointed king. He's the one who fulfilled all of the law and the prophets, the one that the entire Old Testament is waiting for and anticipating. And as the promised anointed king, he suffered at the hand of religious rulers. And he died on a cross, and he rose again to save his people from their sins. And in the 40 days after his resurrection, Luke Says that he presented himself by many, what is the word? Proofs. Proofs. He showed himself alive after death. Uh, Would you agree that's power? That's power. That the power of Christ is evident in all that he does. The power of Christ is seen every place where lives are transformed by his life and death and resurrection. And when we show by our lives that we have died with Christ, that we rose again with Christ, that we are alive with him, that we're new in him, his kingdom is on display. That's the first thing that we pray for when we pray, your kingdom come. We're praying that the death-defeating, sin-destroying, life-transforming power of God would be on display in our lives. That's not a tiny prayer, y'all. And that power is understood and clarified through Jesus' teaching. It's not just willy-nilly power, like whatever I think looks powerful, that's what I'm praying for. No, no, it's clarified through Jesus' teaching, through his commands, through his speaking through the Holy Spirit. And so all that he began to do and teach, the kingdom is governed by the commands of the king. And Jesus spent 40 days after his resurrection speaking to them about the kingdom of God. He was clarifying his power and his commands. He was defining the characteristics of his kingdom for them. Now think about this. That teaching is what consumed the 40 days leading up to the 10-day prayer meeting that we see in verse 14. They they spent 40 days seeing Jesus' power and hearing his commands about the kingdom. Like, do you think that maybe had a little bit of an effect on their hearts as they prayed? Do you think that maybe it fueled and directed how and what they prayed for? And, and, and so, how do we apply this? If we are going to seat the kingdom together, we need to fill up our understanding of the kingdom's characteristics. We need to understand that the kingdom of God is not the same as the kingdoms of this world. Praise the Lord for that. That the kingdom of God operates in the power of the Spirit, not the power of the flesh. In the the kingdom of God, the least is the greatest, and the greatest is the least. In the kingdom of God, it's, it's, it's found in the hearts of those who wait on the Lord, who seek His will, not their own. And that's the hard part about waiting, isn't it? As we wait, we are forced to wonder, do I really want what God wants? What if God wants something completely different than what I want? Am I okay with that? As I wait, I'm faced with the question, do I really want to admit that he is worthy and I am needy? Do I I want to feel my weakness through my waiting in order to see his power? Do I want to surrender my will to his commands? That's the hard part about waiting. But it's also the beautiful part about waiting. Because God in his mercy gives us time to align our hearts to his kingdom characteristics. He doesn't just force himself upon us and say, deal with it. I mean, sometimes he does. He needs to do that at times, right? But God loves to give us time to increase our longing for him and to to get our heads and our hearts in the right place. And that's not going to happen, though, if we don't fill our waiting with prayer. We need to spend plenty of time adoring God and aligning our hearts to his if we are going to wait properly. So here's what this looks like practically. Very practical now. It means that we need to learn to pray scripture. But that's where we fill up our hearts with the kingdom's characteristics. We need to fill our prayer with the scripture of God. See, one of our goals in this series is that our whole church would participate together in spirit-led, scripture-fed, worship-based prayer, much like we did this morning. And the reason we need our prayers to be scripture-fed is because that's where we come to understand the kingdom's characteristics. As you follow the Lord's pattern of prayer in any given moment, Recall Scripture. Have Scriptures memorized to fuel your prayer. In fact, anytime you're you're reading the Scriptures, respond in prayer. If you're feeling like, hey, my my, my prayer life and my, my Bible reading time is just feeling stale lately, interact with it. Don't just read it and then move on. Interact with it in prayer. Interact with God in prayer. Look for what the Scripture says about who God is and what He's done and then adore Him for that. Look at what the scripture says about the kingdom's characteristics and and align your heart to that and and confess where you've fallen short. Make sure that you ask and acknowledge for what you need in order to fulfill what those scriptures are calling you to. That's how you make sure that you're waiting and seeking the kingdom's characteristics. See, sometimes God makes us wait so that we're going to have time to go to him and understand what his characteristics are. Prayerful waiting forces us to seek the kingdom's characteristics. Second, prayerful waiting makes us seek the kingdom's timing. The kingdom's timing. Look at verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said. You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Prayerful waiting makes us seek the kingdom's timing. Did you see what Jesus told them in verse 4? He said, Wait. Don't leave Jerusalem. Just wait. Don't mess this up by trying to do it on your own. Wait. What are they waiting for? They're waiting to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They're waiting to be clothed with power from on high. By the way, we receive that kind of power when we turn to Christ and turn from our sin and we trust in Christ for our salvation. We get the very Spirit of God living within us. We get the Holy Spirit clothing us with power from on high. Don't miss that. But how did... We see them wait for that in their own particular context. How do we see them wait for that in verse 14? By devoting themselves to prayer together in one accord. And yet that wasn't always their first impulse. Their their first impulse was to say, like, is it now, Lord? Is now the time to restore the kingdom to Israel? They had heard about the kingdom's characteristics, but they still didn't understand the kingdom's timing. God will, will, I'm going to say would, but he will, eventually restore the kingdom to Israel. There's coming a day when that's going to happen, but not until the invitation of the kingdom goes out to all nations. To the very ends of the earth in the last two thousand years, having God saying, "Nope, still not time. Nope, still not time. I still have work to do. Trust me, and wait." Jesus says, "It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. It's His kingdom, not yours." We want it now, don't we? We want it now. We're like the kid in the back seat of the car on the long trip that says, are we there yet? Nope. Are we there yet? Nope. Are we there yet? Nope. God says, wait. I'm still working. I'm still driving to the destination. My rule and my reign are still playing out in this part of what I'm doing And when we prayerfully wait, we're saying, even though I want resolution now, God, I'm willing to trust that you are in control and your timing is best. So think about something that we have been waiting a long time for as a church. It's a kingdom desire. I fully believe that. We want a building to call permanently home whether that's this building or another building. And so many people say, yeah, that's what you need in order to be considered a stable, long-lasting church. People aren't going to call your church home if you don't have a facility. To which we would reply, uh, if we believe that to be true, then we would have the wrong motives for wanting a building. We don't want people to come to Oak Hill because they know we're permanent and we have some validation of having a building or a certain budget or whatever. Like We want people to come to Oak Hill because they have seen God at work and they know that he's doing something here and they want to be a part of that. And we aren't against having a building. Believe me, (laughs) it is something that we hope God provides and, and we are working towards that, and we've done all we can. Waiting is not a passive thing. We pray, and we do what God has given us the responsibility to do, but then we wait. But if God doesn't, hasn't provided it yet, then it's not something we want right now. If God hasn't provided it yet, then it's not something we want right now. And I've had pastor friends say to me, like, I don't know what you're doing, man. I would just push the issue already. And I just respond, look, the scriptures have the value of waiting written all over them. The Lord says those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. That's how we renew our strength, by waiting upon the Lord. And it's not that we don't do anything, but it's that we recognize that God is doing something bigger God's saying, I know something you don't know. Wait for my timing and fill your waiting with prayer. Are you still praying for that, for the, by the way, if you're a part of Oak Hill? Are you praying for that for our church? Don't be passive in that. Don't be saying, I'm waiting to see if it happens, but I'm not actually praying for it, I'm not actually moving. God wants us to fix our eyes on Him. And we, when we want God to, to give us what we want now, we must rush to him in prayer and seek his timing instead, whatever that is in your life. God is working out a, a kingdom that is way bigger than our little corner of the world, and our minds would be blown by all of the pieces that God is bringing together in order to accomplish His purposes. And if we had to put all that together ourselves, we would be so overwhelmed. And so God just says, wait. Our lives are part of His kingdom, but His kingdom is ultimate. And so prayerfully wait, seeking the kingdom's timing. Now one of the reasons... God is delaying the full restoration of his kingdom is that he is giving time for the kingdom's expansion. The kingdom's expansion. Look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Understand that what is happening here, they, they wanted something so small compared to what God wanted to do. They wanted something so small compared to what God wanted to do. They wanted the kingdom restored to Israel now. And God says, no, I want my kingdom expanded to the nations, just like we read in, in Daniel 7, that every people and nation and language would worship him and serve him. In other words, the kingdom wasn't just about them. God is, is using the time from when Jesus ascended to heaven to the time when he returns to expand the gospel message to the ends of the earth. His disciples were to be His witnesses in that. They were to testify to the resurrection power that they had seen and experienced in their own lives. They were called to go and make disciples of all nations, doing what? Baptizing and teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded, all that Jesus did, and all that He taught. In other words, the kingdom wasn't just about them and their own little thing that they thought they were waiting for. It wasn't their positions of power sitting at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus like they argued about the entire time they were with Him. It wasn't about Israel having their own piece of land that they can finally rest in. It was about the glory of God covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. When we pray your kingdom come, we are breaking out of our own little world and out of our nearsighted solutions and we are seeking God for his bigger plans. I, I believe that that was the heartbeat of their, their 10-day prayer meeting in verse 14. Uh, during those 10 days of prayer, uh, they replace Judas. They pray and they cast lots and they replace the, Judas and they make sure that the whole team of apostles is ready and geared up and, and then they keep waiting to receive power from God. And that's exactly what he did. As Acts chapter 2 opens up, it tells us there's a whole bunch of people from all different nations, from all over the world, gathered together in Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths. And what happens is that the Spirit of God comes upon them, and they start all speaking in languages that they themselves don't understand, but that everybody else can in their own language. And it's just this foretaste of what's going to come, because the gospel is going to go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the very ends of the earth. That's what the book of Acts is all about. And so it all started, understand this, the entire book of Acts starts with a prayer meeting. Everything that happens, everything that the Holy Spirit does starts with a prayer meeting. 120 people gathered in a room waiting on the Lord, seeking the kingdom in prayer. If you think prayer meetings are boring, think again. You're doing them wrong if you think that they're boring participate differently, engage your heart with others in expectant, devoted prayer. See, powerful things happen when we get together and we see the kingdom's expansion. In Acts 1-8, Jesus is saying, your lives are no longer about you. They are about bearing witness to God's power and commands in your life to the very ends of the earth. And so, if the kingdom is, Expansion is the purpose of our lives, then it must become the heartbeat of our prayers. If kingdom expansion is the purpose of our lives, then it must become the heartbeat of our prayers. And perhaps we we don't pray or we find it hard to pray. Perhaps the reason that we find prayer unnecessary or boring, perhaps the reason why we're unmoved in our prayers is because our prayers are too small. Perhaps we are are too nearsighted in our praying and, and we want God to just make all these small adjustments in our lives so that we can be more comfortable or have things easier. Our prayers can easily become inward-focused rather than focused on the glory that God deserves. And we want God to give us what we need to make, maintain control of our little slice of the world rather than seeing his control realized in every corner of the earth. I heard somebody ask this evaluation question of your prayer life before. Consider this. If God answered yes to 100% of your prayers, whose kingdom would expand? Yours or His? If God answered yes to 100% of your prayers, whose kingdom would expand? Yours or His? The prayer, your kingdom come, expands our perspective and keeps our prayers from being small and nearsighted. Now, it's not that we should never pray for things that seem like small things. D- Jesus taught that we should pray for our daily bread, right? Like, often that that seems too small to even consider. Like, I already got my daily bread. What do I need to pray for that for? But I want you to consider this. The request for our daily bread in the Lord's Prayer comes immediately after the request for your kingdom to come. And I don't don't think that that's an accident. Everything we need, relationally and physically and spiritually, everything that we need is given so that we can be witnesses right here and right now and eventually to the very ends of the earth. We must see how those small needs are tied to the bigger purpose of the expansion of Christ's kingdom. In fact, sometimes the reason that we don't pray for smaller things is because we don't really feel all that needy. Sometimes we don't pray because we have our lives in control and we have all that we need to make us comfortable and sustain our own little kingdom in our efforts, But when we realize the call in our lives to be witnesses of Christ's kingdom to the very ends of the earth, that changes things, doesn't it? Does that make you feel a little bit needy? Like, God, I can't do that. Yeah, exactly. Start praying. Do you understand how needy you are to be a witness for Jesus to the ends of the earth? And does that neediness increase your longing for prayer? So let's make this practical. Like as you pray for needs, learn to use the reason why. Add these two little words to the end of your prayer, so that. Learn to pray the so that. Give us this day our daily bread so that we will have the energy to point others to you so that we will have the mental ability to think clearly and obey your commands, so that we will have what we eat eat and drink be to your glory. As you pray, Lord, forgive me and, and restore my relationship with you, pray the so that, so that I can praise your name with clean hands and a clean heart, so that people can see your grace at work in me, See, praying the so that directs our hearts toward the expansion of the kingdom. There's so much more at stake in our prayer than our own comfort or control or security. What's at stake in our living and in our praying is the expansion of the kingdom of God. Our witness to him to the very ends of the earth. Okay, now we're getting closer and closer and closer to that prayer meeting in verse 14. The disciples are being prepared to seek the kingdom's characteristics, the kingdom's timing, the kingdom's expansion, but something had to happen first. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. And when they had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee? Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. If we're going to seek the kingdom, we need to prayerfully seek the kingdom's ruler. The kingdom's ruler. So just put yourself in this scene. Okay, Just go back 2,000 years. 40 days ago, you woke up totally depressed because... Your rabbi, your Lord, your friend was brutally murdered in some conspiracy theory by the religious leaders and government. And then later that morning, some women returned from the tomb. They reported that an angel told them that Jesus was alive. And and then you found out that Mary of Magdala had seen him herself. and, And later that night, you would see him too. And not only did you see him that night, but you saw him many times since in the last 40 days. And he kept teaching you about the kingdom and you got to spend time with him and eat meals with him and it was great. And your heart was so full and Jesus was just at the center of every gathering. And a similar thing is happening right now. You're out in one of your favorite national parks and Jesus is teaching. But all of a sudden as he's teaching, he starts lifting off the ground. And you almost didn't notice it at first, but then he starts to get higher and higher. And and like, this would be totally crazy to you, except that you just saw a dead guy come to life in the last 40 days. And and so you're like, well, nothing really surprises me now. And then all of a sudden he passes through the clouds and he's gone. And you're just kind of left staring into the sky, mouth gaping open. We don't know how long they stood there. But it was long enough for two angels to show up and say, "Uh, hey, people, snap out of it, come on. He's going to return the same way that you saw him go. Can you see yourself in that scene? Why are you standing there, mouth gaping, looking into heaven? It's because you're already longing for him to return. It's because you love him and you don't want to miss an opportunity to see him if he shows up again. Now the angels tell them that, that seeing Jesus wasn't going to happen by staring into heaven. They would see him work in 10 days as the Holy Spirit came upon him in power. But, but I think their staring is instructive to us. Prayerful waiting is about seeking the kingdom's ruler. It's not just about the stuff of the kingdom, it's about the king of the kingdom. And we need to learn to seek the Lord's face before we seek his hand. We at prayer for waiting this way. The, the longer that God makes us wait in prayer, the more opportunity we have to spend with him in prayer. The longer God waits, makes us wait in prayer, the more opportunity we have to spend with him in prayer see, we don't just want the kingdom. We want the king. And it doesn't matter what you think you're waiting for. It doesn't matter what you think you need. The the thing that we're really waiting for, the thing that we really need is for the king to come in power. And every feeling of lack in your life will be restored in his coming. See, our longing for the kingdom of God is is not just a longing for everything to be better. It's a longing for the better king. The king who who died and rose again to save us. The king whose ways are always righteous and pure and just. The one whose authority will restore perfect peace and whose dominion will have no end. And so they're gazing into heaven because their eyes are fixed on Jesus. That's what prayer does. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so even when the disciples stop looking into heaven physically, they return to Jerusalem and they keep looking into heaven spiritually. We've now arrived at the prayer meeting in verse 12. Does that give you a little bit more uh, meat to that prayer meeting? Jesus had prepared them to prayerfully seek the kingdom's characteristics, its timing, expansion, and ruler. But to do that, they had to seek the kingdom's unity. The kingdom's unity. And I find this so interesting. While, While Jesus is with them, they spend all their time talking to him together. And as soon as Jesus leaves the scene, they spend all of their time praying together. For 40 days, the upper room had been their designated spot to eat and talk to Jesus together. And now it's their designated spot to pray together. It was only natural for them to return to this place and talk to their Lord in prayer. Like, what else were they going to do while they waited? These were were the people of his kingdom. These 120 people were the only other people on the planet who truly understood what it meant to live under the authority of Jesus. They wanted these people. The rest of the world hated them. The rest of the world wanted to kill them. And so they go back to the upper room in Jerusalem to pray Now, this upper room is is really important to our understanding of prayer because the word for room shows up in another important verse about prayer that is often misused and misunderstood. In Matthew 6, Jesus is talking about being boastful in our praying, not not praying on the street corners like the hypocrites to be seen by others. And he makes this statement in Matthew 6.6. It's up on the screen. You'll recognize it, I think, if you've been around the church. It says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now the word that's used for room there in Matthew 6.6 6 is the same word used for upper room where 120 people were devoting themselves to Prayer. They were following the Lord's instructions about how to pray as they were gathered together. Now, here's the problem. The King James translates Matthew 6, 6, go into your closet. And everyone's like, see, I don't have to pray with other people. I'm supposed to pray in secret in my closet. How many of you actually obey that verse, by the way? Do you really go into your closet? I'm just kidding. But here's the thing. When the King James translated the word closet, the word closet was not a place where you hung your coats. It was like your living room. It, it, it was a, a big enough place to meet and fellowship with people. It didn't mean tiny little space that nobody else knows about. And so some people have built this whole theology about it, individualistic prayer. Prayer off of one word in one translation that doesn't mean what they think it means. And when Jesus says, go into your room, he has in mind a space where a whole group of people could humble themselves before the Lord together. Daniel Henderson says, if your prayer closet doesn't fit more than one person, it's not big enough. Now, the reason that I go into all that is because it's one of the biggest verses that I hear used against people praying together or against praying in the public gathering. But here we clearly see that there must be room in our lives for praying with others. When we realize that God's kingdom is bigger than us, we're going to see that our praying requires more than just me by myself in a room. I'm not saying you can't pray alone. But that needs to come together with others. My, my praying, my sustained waiting, my anticipation of God's powerful work is fueled by praying with others. It's the most natural place for a disciple of Jesus to be, praying with God's people. My heart's desires are shaped by the prayers of the people around me. My kingdom prayers are affirmed and amplified by the amens of my brothers and sisters joining together with me. And it increases our longing for the day when we're going to stand together with Jesus at the center on his throne. Forever devoted to him, forever satisfied by him, not bored in any way by what we are doing there. And so as John comes and he comes to play and get ready for our response, uh, let me ask you this question. Are you ready to wait on the Lord in prayer? Maybe you're waiting for God to work in some specific area of your life today. and You're waiting to see his power show up. If, you, if, if nothing comes to your mind today, I, I guarantee you it's not going to take long. This week, this month, you're going to be needing to wait on the Lord for something. Seek the kingdom in prayer for that thing. Is what you are waiting for in line with his kingdom's characteristics? Are you seeking his timing, not your own? Are you seeking the expansion of his kingdoms in your prayers? What's the the so that for you? Are you cherishing the time that you get to spend with him, your savior, king, while you wait in prayer? And have you brought others in to pray for that thing with you? To be a church who, who learns to patiently wait to see God's power by prayerfully seeking God's kingdom together. Can you pray with me right now? Father, we want to lay our desires at your feet. We want to confess that, that we don't recognize you as holy as you truly are, as deserving and worthy as you truly are. So many times, Lord. So many times the things that I want, the things that I'm striving for, the things that I'm uh, yearning after are for myself, for my own validation, for my own security. And so help me to seek you and your kingdom first. We just pray that right now over whatever that thing was that came to mind that you were waiting for. Seek his timing, seek him. Father, I pray that we would be a church that waits for you. More than watchmen for the morning, may we wait for you, our Lord. You are the one we need. You are the, the longing and desire of our hearts. And so we wait for you. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.